0: Today's scripture reading is from Matthew, chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. Matthew, chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you, look into, if you look under the chair right in front of you, you will find a Bible, and you can turn to page 771. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah so he left them and departed when the disciples reached the other side he had for, forgot they had forgotten to bring any bread jesus said to them watch and beware of the leaven of the pharisees and sadducees and they began discussing it among, among themselves saying we brought no bread But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Did you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to be aware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. It's good to worship with you, good to be with you and share the Word of God with you. Very excited about smaller groups again. uh, It's our first time we're going to try this initiative, smaller groups, because they're smaller than small groups. And then what we're going to do, and once a month, we're going to gather as larger groups. The smaller groups will get together gather as larger groups, and they're larger than small groups, so that's why they're called larger groups And so I'm happy that so many of you signed up. We're going to keep signups up for one more week, and we're just going to kind of get a rolling start. And so please do sign up. A lot of you already did, so thank you for signing up so quickly. Uh, Some of you were a little concerning because when we asked for people to sign up, it was like at 10.30. That meant you were doing it during service, so please wait after service before you go on the Internet. Uh, But I, I can see why everybody's so excited and hyped to do this. Uh, not just smaller groups, but I said every once in a while we'll have a book to share. There's a book to my life left to your right. It's right there at the t- small table. This is called What is Baptism? This is free for you to take. Uh, you can read this on your commute to work. Or if you have a friend that doesn't know what baptism is, you can share this book with them. Uh, I especially appreciate the final chapter uh, for, as Presbyterians or Presbyterian uh, faith. There is a chapter on infant baptism, so a lot of you had questions about infant baptism. So you can either ask me, but you could also pick up this book, read the last chapter about infant baptism. So this is a really good book that I recommend. Take one for yourself, read it, or even if you have a friend that might be, um, might have some questions about baptism, and pick one up for your friend as well. It's a great book. These ser- these series are great. You can just read it in your commute. It Would take maybe one at most two, like train rides if you're going into the city from here. And so please pick one up. These are for you. And if we ever run out, we'll just order more. So don't worry about taking one and not having enough for someone else. Before we start today's message, let's start with a prayer. Almighty gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, grant to all of us that our hearts, being free from worldly things, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith, that we may rightly understand your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all our hearts to your praise and honor through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew for quite some time now. It's been for a while now. And I'm going to be honest with you, I have come to deeply enjoy the discipline and some of the things this series has been teaching me and hopefully teaching you. Before we got into deeper exposition of the word, we had sermon series with topics such as, or for example, wisdom or marriage. And if it was wisdom, we would take a few weeks to look at some passages in the Bible to help us understand what wisdom was. Passages like James 1, five, or books like Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. And if it was marriage, we could take a few weeks to look at maybe Ephesians 5, or 1 Peter 3, or even 1 Corinthians 13. Today is our halfway mark through the Gospel of Matthew. And with some exceptions for some seasonal sermon series, we've basically gone through this book week by week week after week. You know, when I was a younger man, I would think, I need wisdom. And read through those specific passages like Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and meditate on it. And it's not bad to do that. And if I needed to learn about marriage, I would do something similar. Read 1 Corinthians 13, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter And it's not bad to do that. And I do think there are seasons when it will be beneficial for us as a church to do that. But the thing I've come to deeply enjoy is that as we go through this book passage by passage, we get into the granular aspects of each passage, meaning we get down to the nitty gritty of the passage. And there is deep, profound wisdom to gain. There is a deep, profound understanding of marriage to gain. You know, as a young man, I needed wisdom. And every ounce of the word of God I see now is chock full of it. And it's not just in the wisdom literature. As a single person, I need to understand about marriage. I needed to understand. Number one, why? Number one, to prepare myself for marriage. Number two, this is a while back, but even if I didn't get married, and this was a serious thought that I had that I prayed and I struggled through, and I said, there is a real possibility I might not get married. Even if I didn't get married, what I realized was the foundation of my communities would be families, and I needed to understand them, and I needed that. But number three, the most important reason of all was that God gave us human society, God gave us marriage so that we understand the deep relationship of not just husband and wife, but the deep relationship between Christ and the church. And I saw that every ounce of the word of God was chock full of insight on our heavenly marriage with Christ. And so my heart is glad That I get to go through the Bible with you, with this church and community. I pray before every message that God give us understanding and knowledge because it's through a true understanding and knowledge of God's Word that we can know that we are saved, grow, and mature in holiness. Which leads us to today's passage. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. And to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Before we got into this, Pastor Paul spoke last week. And we know that that passage ended with them going back to Magadan. And Magadan is most likely a Galilean territory. It is Jewish land. So last week's passage ended where Jesus comes back from gentile land non-jewish land him and his disciples are back now in galilean territory and when they come back the pharisees and sadducees almost as if they were waiting for jesus now go to test him and the word test here is used the word test is peirazo peirazo is translated test here but peirazo also appears other times in the New Testament. For instance, James 1.13 uses the word peirazo. Let no one say when he is tempted. That's the word peirazo. I am being tempted, peirazo, by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That's the word peirazo, and it's translated tempt. Or when Jesus, even in chapter 4, was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, the word used there is peirazo. The word test here then has a negative connotation in this context. It's to test in order to stumble, Test in order to stumble. And we can see many people do this even today. A question really isn't a question. It's to judge or insinuate a claim that will bear negatively on you. Should a pastor be really this good at golf? I'm not referring that to myself because no one ever said that to me. I am terrible at golf. But I heard this one pastor, he was playing with a church member, and i think he shot like a 85 or something like that and then the church member that played with him eh, it's just like whatever some of you guys is like whatever I, I, I you know i play like 60 but uh the church member i don't think was happy that he was beaten by the pastor he's like should a pastor be really this good at golf and this really disheartened the pastor and i know this person he's my friend and I know he doesn't golf that much. Maybe when the weather gets warmer, he golfs once every two weeks or something like that. But he's just naturally good. He's athletic. And I've seen him play. I played with him. And the guy bends his elbow and everything. But every shot goes straight. And he gets, he gets his pars and birdies and things of that nature. But they asked him, should a pastor be this good at golf? That's a test in order to Stumble. This kind of attitude that Jesus is faced with makes him sigh deeply in the spirit. That's in Mark 8, in this recount of the same story. He sighs deeply in the spirit, meaning it's not just like, let's take a deep breath and like a sigh, but it's a sigh deeply in the spirit of exasperation, like, oh. This kind of attitude that Jesus is faced with from the Pharisees and Sadducees is recounted in Mark in chapter 8. And this is what Jesus is facing. The Pharisees and Sadducees coming together were significant as well in the sense that they didn't get, together, they didn't get along together at all. They were on opposite sides of the theological and political spectrum. Matthew specifically makes 14 references to the Sadducees or the Sadducean party, which is contrasted with Mark and Luke. Mark and Luke only makes one reference to the Sadducees. This is a book written, again, to the Jewish people, and they would have understood the differences between the parties, and they would have been surprised too. It's like if you were in the UK, and you understood the difference between the labor and conservative Party or if you were in South Korea, and you understood the difference between the Democratic Party of Korea, the DPK, or the Conservative Liberty Korea Party, which is the LKP if you were in South Korea. They knew the differences, the different political spectrums, not just the political spectrums, but the theological spectrums. They didn't believe the same way. They didn't have the same theology or doctrines. In fact, they were on opposite spectrums of both, and yet, These two parties that were staunchly opposed to each other in core ideologies, coming together is something quite notable. And even more notable would be the reason behind why they would join forces. They come and ask Jesus to show them a sign from heaven. Perhaps it's an ask to see something similar to what Elijah did. Elijah called out to heaven and fire came down. Whatever the reason, this badgering and testing is what makes Jesus sigh deeply in the spirit. And the word that comes to my mind again is exasperation. In response, Jesus effectively says two things, which we're going to get into today, which the passage shows us. Verse 2, he answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. I can't tell you how many times I've read this, these two verses over and over again. It was just fascinating to me because I love weather. No, I don't, love, I don't, I don't care anything about weather, but... It was just fat. It was like, what does this mean? This, like, this is so simple or element. He's like saying this like element. Don't you know one plus one is two? But I'm looking at it, it's like, I don't know what that means. But I'm not sure how many people know this about weather now because no one looks up for the weather anymore. They look down. They look down on their phone, right? What's the weather? Even now, if we're like, is it raining outside? And it's like, let me check my phone. It's like, dude, you could just walk over to the window. But we'll just we'll look down. But for the people at the time, it was pretty elementary. Look up in the sky, and when it's dark in the evening and the sky is red from the sunset, you are going to be able to go out and enjoy that weather. You know, shepherds even had a saying, A red sky at night is a shepherd's delight. But here's just the absolute brilliance of Jesus' simple illustration to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And you're going to miss it if you just read it and you skip a beat. You know what? If you just read the passage and you, you're not even studying what Jesus is saying, the, the density of all the things that he is saying, you're just going to be like... He's just saying the Pharisees are dumb, Uh, it's it's about bread, but not really about bread. Just watch out for the Pharisees and Sadducees. That's the point of the story, and then you're just going to walk home. But the disciples didn't even get it, which we'll see. And here's just the absolute brilliance of Jesus' simple illustration. If it's a red sky and dark, which is translated as the word threatening here, it's gloomy and dark. That's the literal word in the Greek. It's, if it's gloomy and dark. In the morning, you know it will be stormy. And he goes, you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Don't you see? The sky in both scenarios is dark and red. But in one scenario, it's fair weather. In the other scenario, it's stormy weather. Both scenarios, the sky is dark and red. In one scenario, it's fair weather. In one scenario, it's stormy weather. What's the difference? The time of day. And he says to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you can't tell time. For 400 years, the Jewish nation did not have any new prophet or word from God. Malachi, the last book written in the New Testament, is believed to be written around 420 B.C., and nothing new came after that. We have 400 years of silence, and even if you believe in the apocryphal Maccabean account, there's no prophet, there's no word from the Lord. And after 400 years, entered John the Baptist, and people, they just knew this guy was a prophet. Every checkbox they had on their prophet list was checked, and they could check it off for John. Here's the prophet, but where's the word? But where's the word? It's right there for them to see. He's right in front of them. He's right there. Why can't they see him? And he goes, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. One thing I've learned in my life is that signs do not produce faith. Let me say that again. One thing I've learned in my life is that signs do not produce faith. There will invariably be a nerd out here that will take this to me. Yeah, signs don't produce faith because faith produces signs. Boom. Oh, yeah. High five. No, that's wrong. Let me tell you about that logic. Inverting a false causal statement doesn't make it true. You can't say it's raining because the sun is out. So let me That's a false statement, so let me invert it. The sun's out because it's raining. They're both gibberish. It doesn't mean it's right. So signs do not produce faith, and you can't invert it either. Faith doesn't produce signs. That's not what it means. So you might ask this, well, what's so wrong about asking for a sign? What's so wrong? God, I want to know you're real. Do this. Give me a sign. I get that the Pharisees and Sadducees asked because they wanted to test or stumble Jesus I know people like that. They'll ask a question just to get at you, you know? Pastor Gene, looks like you've been hitting the gym. How often do you go? And it was like, I don't know, four times a week. They're like, wow, that's a lot. You know, do you spend time with your wife? You know, that kind of thing. But <laughs> there are people like that. It's quite, it's, it's, it's amazing. But... Um, I get it. Some people ask questions to test, to stumble. But you might ask, is it so wrong, though, to seek a sign for proof? But why is it so wrong to seek a sign for proof? And now we're back to square one again. We're back to square one. Is it wrong? And Jesus answers, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. And I would think the answer to that that question that you might be asked is it so wrong to ask for a sign for proof? I would think the answer that Jesus is giving is, yes, it's wrong. Seeking a sign to be convinced is a fool's errand because faith is a gift of God. Christians call the faith that we are talking about now and referencing, saving faith. Salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone. For the Christian, this is the most beautiful sentence. Because it's not because of what I've done. It's not because of any of my merits or my understanding or my intellect it doesn't matter how high my iuq is or even how low my iq is it doesn't matter if i've achieved the greatest thing that the world has ever seen or not achieved and failed it's not by my merits or my understanding that we may boast so if you wanted faith and struggled with unbelief it's not the so-called proofs that would convince anyone If we, if we could have figured it out on our own, we would have. Are you listening? If we could have figured it on our own, we would have. And as it stands, we cannot figure it out on our own. And we tried. Boy, did we try. And we failed. An evil and adulterous generation means the people that are there are evil and adulterous for asking for a sign. Evil, adulterous, that is synonymous. It should remind you, this is what God called Israel because they wouldn't follow God, even though God did all these things for them. They took, He took them out of Egypt, saved them with some amazing, amazing things, and yet adulterous meaning they would go after these other gods. Not the God of the Bible. Maybe they had a little bit pieces here and there. You know what? I am of this faith. I have Abram as my father, blah, blah, blah. But they did not follow God. Boy, have we tried. And we have failed. Just look at history. Ephesians 2 says, and you were dead. That's where we ended up. For trying. And you were dead. You know, when we fail at something, there's a cost. There's a cost. It's not like you fail. It's like, oh, let's go pick it up. This practice. It's not practice. This is real life. This affects the world. What I do not just affects myself, which is a great deal because I am a creation. I am made in the image of God, but it also affects you. You are also a creation. You are also made in the image of God, and we have failed, and you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air. That's the, that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We just want to do what we want to do because, oh, I just really want to do it you have been saved. If you really wanted faith, and you really, really wanted faith, and you would cry out to God, just as the Father did in Mark 9, I believe, help my unbelief, this blind and wicked, evil, and adulterous generation must throw themselves at the mercy of God and repent knowing that Jesus gives us the sign of Jonah where he descends into the belly of Shoal. And when Jonah gets swallowed up by the great fish, he goes, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. In chapter two of Jonah, this was his prayer. Jonah cries out. He's in the belly of this great fish, right? I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of, not the fish. Jonah doesn't say the fish. Out of the belly of Shoal I cried, and you heard my voice. Shoal is Hebrew for now what we've translated in Greek as Hades, which in English we translate as hell. Shoal is the land of the dead. Jesus would descend into the belly of Sheol. This point is going to become more and more clear and evident to the disciples as we progress to Matthew. But right now, he just goes, Only the sign of Jonah will be given. But the important part here is the incredible lack of discernment by the Pharisees and Sadducees. Proof that you cannot discern the signs is that you seek for a sign. Proof that you cannot seek uh, discern the signs is that you ask for a sign. Because a sign points to the one that you should seek. A sign points to the one that you should seek, and the one you should have been seeking was right in front of your nose. And Jesus leaves them, and that's the first part. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, "O you of little faith. O you of little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? So the disciples forget to bring bread for this journey. And Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples, watch out. Be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. This brought the disciples to say to each other, we brought no bread. They forgot bread. They forget bread. So bread is on their mind. Bread is on your mind because you forgot bread. I need to eat. I'm hungry. Bread is on their mind. And Jesus says, watch out. And they understand it to mean something about them forgetting bread. Jesus then says something he only says when the disciples are, are dull, without comprehension. They're slow to understand. And he goes, oh, you of little faith. In this part, remember the, the other times? It's like when they're like going crazy. Jesus, save me. I'm drowning. He's like, oh, you of little faith. Right? But here, he says the same thing. It's like, why can't you see? It's so evident I'm walking on the water. There's a storm. And I said, come to me. And you didn't have faith even then. That's how little faith that you have. Oh, you of little faith. And he says this here again. When they think it's about actual bread, he goes, oh, you of little faith. Why would he say that here? He could have just said, you don't have bread. I am the bread, right? What does faith have to do with any of this? And the answer is everything. Everything. Because faith would have you seek Jesus. Faith would have you rely on Jesus. Instead, they are still confused and still focused on the things of this world, like bread. Here, the bread of life is in front of them, He's right in front of their noses, and they are dismayed that they have no bread. What happened? What happened? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Remember the five loaves for the 5,000, the seven loaves for the 4,000? You think that Jesus here is concerned about bread? And he repeats that line, he just repeats it again Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they get it. Then they get it. So, what is the leaven? What's the leaven? What did they get? You've read the passage. What is the leaven? What did they understand? What is the leaven? It's unbelief and hardness of the heart. You refuse to take Jesus at his word. You need some kind of extra fantastical experience or you won't commit. All the while, the whole time you've seen him and you've walked with him, that itself was a fantastical experience. There's no pleasing you. What is it that you're so afraid of? Why are you holding your obedience back from him? Why is your heart getting hardened in one of his parables, Jesus mentions what leaven does. And in Galatians 5, Paul says this to the Galatians, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who caused you. This is not from Jesus. And then this is how he ends that part in Galatians 5. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Lump. A lot of people, and I mean a lot of people start off well. They go to church, they say believing they believe in Christ. They start serving Him. I teach in youth group or the children's ministry. They might serve the tables here. They might clean up the church. But the leaven enters. Doubt, unbelief, disobedience. It's small. It's small. I'll just keep this area for myself. I'll just keep this small area for myself. It's me time. It's me party. I 100% guarantee you, your me time will be your undoing. Your me time will be your undoing. It will destroy you. Sins like slander and gossip go deep. When you slander your boss, don't don't just think this is about church. When you slander your boss, but yes, even your church leaders, if you could just talk about a deacon like, "Well, well, this deacon is blah, blah, blah. When you slander your boss, your leader, or even your spouse, that leaven, that little leaven gets hidden deep inside tons of flour. Is there bitterness in your heart? Is there bitterness in your heart right now? Is there bitterness in your heart? Watch out. Be careful of the leaven of bitterness. Is there anger in your heart? Watch out. Be careful of the leaven of anger. Are you listening? Is there disobedience in your heart? Watch out. Be careful of the leaven of disobedience. Oh, it's nothing. It's not that big of a deal. And you're no different from the fool that says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And the Bible says, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, like a thief. The thing about the leaven of evil is that you don't even notice in the beginning. It's so small, but very quickly, It makes it across the whole dough. It makes it across your whole heart. And who was guilty of it? Just the Pharisees and Sadducees? No. The disciples too. They didn't have understanding. They didn't get it. In Mark, it would even say their hearts were hardened because they didn't understand about the bread. They didn't understand about the bread. The only difference between the Pharisees and Sadducees versus the disciples then is Jesus. The only difference between the Pharisees and Sadducees versus the disciples is Jesus. We must turn to Jesus. The sign of Jonah would remind us to repent Repent of your evil deeds and desires." Repent when they come in your mind, when you start succumbing to them. Repent. Turn away from these evil things that blaspheme God, that curse God, and turn to God. Repent of your disobedience. Repent of your blindness and stubbornness. Repent of your foolishness and hatred for God's wisdom, your unwillingness to submit to his word and follow Christ. Turn from the wicked ways of this generation and call out to Christ. And the assurance we have is in his word. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Our God is love and abounding in mercy. That's why it's the psalmist's cry we echo when we ask the Lord to gladden the soul of your servant. For to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Call upon Christ. Do not Let that leaven make it through the whole dough. This is my deep and earnest prayer for every single one of you. Don't let the leaven make it through the whole dough. Beware. Watch out. Be careful. Call upon Christ. Don't give an ounce to the enemy. He's going to take much more than you will ever realize. And they will make it through the whole dough. Call upon Christ, and He is mighty to save. He is powerful enough, and He shows us His power in not just His life, which He led perfectly, but the death that He died completely. And when we have faith in Him, He gives us that perfect life and death. This is what is in the Word of God. This is what we believe, this is what we celebrate. There is no other way. As long as we have known, no one figured it out. So God had to send his own son for us so that we can have it when we did not figure it out. doesn't matter if you think you're a Pharisee or a Sadducee. or You're like, this person's a Pharisee. This person's a Sadducee. I'm a disciple. No matter what party you're in, without Christ, you are blind and crippled. Without his word, You are deaf and dumb. We need Christ. We need his word for every single area of our life. Call upon Christ. Do not let that leaven make it through the whole dough. Let's pray.